Good morning, friends. Today's message is titled, Listen to Your Bible. My text is from James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, today I want to talk to you about taking a few steps to become uh, a better Bible listener. Now, while everything I'm going to say includes traditional Bible reading, in this passage, James is talking about listening to God's Word. Now, you might ask yourself, why listening? Well, simply, they did not have printed Bibles in the first century. So when James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, he means both parts of that statement literally. In fact, you must You just heard the word of God when I read it a few moments ago. So James lays out four steps we need to take in order to hear what God is saying to us in the Bible. Now, each step leads to a question we need to ask ourselves every time we read the Bible or listen as someone reads it to us. Now, here's step number one. Remove all filth. Verse 21 said, Therefore, reading yourselves of all moral filth and evil. You see, the journey to understanding the Bible starts on the inside. You are not really ready to hear God's word until you have done some divine heart surgery. Now, suppose you've been working on your, let's say, sewer lines all day trying to get rid of a clog. That can be hot, messy, dirty, stinky work. And no matter how careful you are, you're bound to get some stuff on your clothes. Now, it happens that you've been invited to a fancy uh, dinner party that evening. Now, you know you need to leave at 5.30 just to be there on time, so what do you do? Well, you finish work at 4, you go inside, get off your dirty clothes, take a shower, and put on clean clothes. Now, what would happen if you showed up at the dinner party wearing (laughs) those foul work clothes? Well, among other things, you'd be turned away at the door. If you did not change clothes, you showed disrespect to the host and hostess of the dinner party. Well, this is a parable of the Christian life. We need to get rid of moral filth and evil. And no doubt James intends us to think of the dangers of an uncontrolled tongue and a bad temper he warned against in verses 19 and 20. It extends to include all sorts of moral and spiritual corruption. The word filthiness comes from a Greek word that referred to wax in the ear. In verse 19, James has already told his readers they must be quick to hear what God is saying. But sin is like wax in the ear that shuts out the word of God. Wax like that can make a man deaf. And in the same way, sin makes us deaf to God. Now, we all wonder how people can go to church for years, go through all the motions, sing the songs, pray the prayers, put money in the offering plate, listen to a sermon, and then leave completely unchanged. They suddenly become angry the minute they walk out the door. Uh, They come filled with lust. They leave filled with lust. They come with a chip on their shoulder. The chip is still there when they leave. Well, if we're going to change, we need to actively get rid of the moral filth that has become like spiritual earwax. 
That means we need to repent on a daily basis. And the word repent literally means to change your mind and change your direction. It has to do with the way you think about something. You've been thinking one way, but now you think differently. That is repentance, the changing of the mind that leads to a change of the heart, that leads to a change of behavior. In his foundational to a growing Christian life, uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in 1517, and he began with this crucial statement. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Well, the Protestant Reformation hangs on those words. If you're a Christ follower, repentance ought to be part of your daily life. It is the only no-shame solution to a renewed Christian conscience because it only proves the obvious. God was right all along. We are to be always repenting because we are always sinning. Well, that leads to the first question, and it's a personal question. Am I willing to repent of my sin? Well, until the answer is yes, we're really not ready for step number two. But let's go on to step two. Receive the word, and this is from verse 21, the second half. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Now, there's a reason we are to humbly receive God's word. That's because true repentance strips us bare. It leaves us with nothing good to claim. We stand before God, naked, exposed, with all secrets revealed, all hidden motives uncovered, all shameful deeds dragged out into the light, every casual thought, every foolish word brought before the Lord, so that we might be forgiven, healed, and made whole. A proud person cannot repent because, well, they will not repent. Their pride keeps them from admitting anything. But when we're finally stripped bare, then we're in the ideal position to receive God's word because then we have a truly teachable heart. But we are to hear God's word the same way that we are to receive God's word the same way we receive an old friend who's made a long journey to see us. That means when we hear the word, we don't argue with it. We don't make excuses. We welcome it with open arms. Uh, Speak to me, O Lord. I'm ready to hear your voice. Now, the word implanted pictures a seed planted in the ground. God's word is like a seed that will grow up within us to produce good fruit. And if you combine this truth with the previous one, it means that we pull up the weeds of sin so we can make room for God's word that it can grow within us to produce the fruit of a life filled with the beauty of Jesus. And when that happens, the implanted word is able to save us. It delivers us from sin, guilt, shame, condemnation, and the moral filth of the world around us. But question number two is, am I willing to receive God's word with an open heart? Well, if the answer is yes, then we can move on to the next step. This is step number three. Respond by doing. Verse 22 said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, friends, the real challenge for most of us is not in the doing, but in the deceiving. The worst lies are the ones you tell yourself. It is, it is one thing to deceive other people. That's bad enough, but it's profoundly dangerous to lie to yourself. When John wrote his first epistle, he tackled this topic right out of the box. Three times in 1 John chapter 1, the apostle repeats the phrase, If we say, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness. If we say we have no sin, in verse 10, if we say we don't have any sin. 
You see, every deception starts with the man or the woman in the mirror. If you lie to a friend, I mean, that's bad, but at least you know what you've done. If you lie to yourself, you're probably not even aware of it. It's no wonder the psalmist in Psalm 19 confessed, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. See, only the Lord himself can deliver us because he alone sees the part hidden from our own view. So unless I am regularly contradicted by God's word, I'm not engaging it. I mean, God's word is like a sword. I mean, read Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. Swords cut. Good swords are razor sharp. Even a slight touch draws blood. So that leads to question number three. Am I willing to be rebuked by the Lord? You see, friends, it's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to let the Bible read you. So here's step number four. Remember the truth. Let me again read verses 23 to 25. It says, But if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. See, James begins with an illustration of all men that all men will understand. I mean, most guys I know spend as little time as possible looking in the mirror. And we kind of get up, we shower, we shave, we kind of comb or brush out our hair, we take a quick look and we say, close enough, and off we go. Now, if the Bible is a mirror that reveals our true condition, too many of us walk away thinking we're better than we really are. And while it might be okay to say close enough when it comes to our appearance, it's deadly to say that about our spiritual life. The real danger here is forgetting. Because we can read, love one another, but then we forget. We read, pray without ceasing, but then we forget. We read, rejoice always, and then we forget. Uh, we read, in all things give thanks, and then we forget. See, we need to look intently into the truth of God. We must not forget what we've heard. Now, note that the Bible is called the perfect law of freedom. That sounds kind of archaic to modern ears. Now, we don't really equate law with freedom. We, we think the law restricts our freedom by telling us what not to do. And let's be honest, that's partly true. I mean, after all, eight of the ten commandments are in the negative. But the law puts limits on our behavior. It tells us not to worship other gods, not to make idols, not to misuse God's name, not to murder or be guilty of adultery, not to steal, not to bear false witness, not to covet. But those laws were given by God to protect us from our own sinful impulses. In a deep sense, we do not break the Ten Commandments. We are broken by them when we disobey. For example, a man or a woman could be bored with their marriage and decide they need to have fun on the side. So they, they may go to one of those websites devoted to help you have an affair discreetly. But let's say then one day hackers break the encryption and suddenly your name is broadcast to the world as an adulterer. It would cost you your reputation and your marriage and, and may cost whatever career you have at that time. Well, meanwhile, here's a person who loves his spouse uh, because of promises made to each other, fights off temptation, keeps their vows, stays faithful, doesn't have an affair. 
he and his wife go through trials of life side by side, hand in hand. When they get to the end of their earthly journey, they're still together, still in love. Now, which persons are truly free? It's the people who keep the rules. It's not the ones who broke them. See, in all of life, there's an easy way and a hard way. In the beginning, the easy way looks pretty inviting because you can take shortcuts to get where you want to go. The hard way seems daunting because it demands so much discipline. But in the end, cutting corners and bending the rules always costs more. The easy way turns out to be the hard way, and the hard way turns out to be the easy way. And so it is with the Word of God. Well, that leads us to the final question. Am I willing to obey even when it's not easy? Now, when the answer is yes, we discover the freedom that becomes a blessing from the Lord. So here again are the four questions we ought to ask every time we read the Bible or listen as someone reads it to us. Am I willing to repent of my sin? Am I willing to receive the word with an open heart? Am I willing to be rebuked by the Lord? Am I willing to obey even when it's not easy? Well, friends, here's some good news. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic to understand the Bible. You don't need to go to the seminary. You don't need to be a pastor or a missionary in order to be changed by the word of God. It doesn't require special knowledge reserved only for a few, but it does require a willing heart. The heart of the problem, as they say, is the problem of the heart. Until our hearts are made willing, we can read the Bible in the morning and listen to it all afternoon and still be unchanged in the evening. If we would be better people, what we really need are better hearts. Now, a few years ago, a friend told me about a billboard that advertises the cardiac services of Christ Hospital up in the Chicagoland area. The billboard read, Christ is number one in open heart surgeries. Well, I don't know if that's true about the hospital, but I can certainly vouch for its namesake. I mean, Jesus Christ is indeed number one in open heart surgery. He's never lost a case yet. When you come to him by faith, he gives you a brand new heart. So some of us need to pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing to be changed by your word. I mean, pray that simple prayer and then get ready to be changed. Lord, make me willing to be willing to be changed by your word. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.